0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Windsor and Royal Borough Museum's Out and About podcast series, in which we tell you the hidden histories and stories behind the buildings and landscape of the Royal Borough. In this episode, we'll be taking you on a journey around central Windsor to discover the histories of pubs in the area. We'll be joined by Gillian Hines, a recent history graduate of Royal Holloway University, who interned with us last summer and helped us with the research for this episode. We're going to start outside Windsor Guildhall, home of Windsor and Royal Borough Museum, and we'll then explore the streets of Guildhall Island before following Thames Street down to the river. But first, find a quiet spot on the corn market of the Guildhall to listen for a few minutes while we explain the development of pubs both nationally and locally. Over to you, Gillian.
1: Traditionally, there were three establishments that sold alcohol, the inn, tavern, and alehouse. All three date back to the medieval period. Coaching inns and taverns were purposely built to accommodate travellers and pilgrims. Taverns sold wine and tended to cater for richer visitors. Alehouses, by contrast, were simple dwellings where beer was brewed and sold. They typically did not provide accommodation. The term public house only came into general use in the late 17th century. It likely came from the shortening of the term public alehouse. By the mid 19th century, the term pub was used to describe most drinking places, and the pub had begun to emerge as a uniquely working class institution.
0: During the 19th century, Most towns, including Windsor, had many more pubs than they have today. They were places where the working classes spent most of their leisure time. Indeed, the average Victorian man spent up to half of his earnings in a pub. From conversations to newspapers being read aloud, to games, sports, and the singing of pub songs, there were countless forms of entertainment that came along with pub going. Even without the entertainment, it's easy to see why pubs were so popular. We can't forget that people at this time had no heating or electricity at home. Their houses, or in some cases single rooms, were cold and dingy and merely a place to sleep. A pub offered the roar of a constant fire and the amusements necessary to escape the drudgery of everyday living.
1: It is claimed that Windsor has a higher number of pubs than would have been typical for a town of its size. This is explained by it being a garrison town. During the English Civil War, it was a garrison of the Parliamentary Army. It had 32 inns and ale houses, which provided 329 beds for Cromwell's soldiers and stables for 669 horses. Infantry and cavalry barracks were later built in Windsor at the end of the 18th century. However, there were frequently more soldiers stationed in Windsor than there was barrack space. This meant that some soldiers continued to be billeted in Windsor's pubs. Throughout the
0: centuries, soldiers sought entertainment in the town's public houses and sometimes caused quite a ruckus. Besides drinks, soldiers looked for female company that was offered in such establishments. Some of the pubs became quite bawdy, but more on that later. We will now take you on a tour of Windsor's pubs. Expect stories that are surprising, sometimes gruesome, but hopefully always interesting. Walk along from the Guildhall towards Queen Victoria's statue, and rest at the benches outside the castle to observe the heart and garter opposite.
1: looking at one of Windsor's oldest surviving establishments. It started out life, though, as two separate inns, the White Hart and the Garter, both of which date back to the 14th century. In the medieval period, a commercial inn trade developed to cater for pilgrims. Inns opened in towns, cities, and along major roads used by travellers. They provided bedrooms, food, stabling for horses, meeting rooms, storage rooms for valuables, and of course, beer. Inns were particularly needed in Windsor as by the end of the 15th century the town had become a popular destination for pilgrims visiting St George's Chapel. The White Hart and Garter Inns would have catered for them. The Garter Inn took its name from the Garter Tower of Windsor Castle which is stood just opposite it. Look behind you and it's the middle of the three towers you can see. The White Hart Inn also had royal connections, and took its name from the emblem used for Richard II. Walk a little further down Thames Street, and opposite you will see the Duchess of Cambridge pub.
0: A tavern occupied the site from at least the 17th century and the earliest license was issued in 1741 to an establishment of the name Bunch of Grapes. The building was altered in the 19th century, but by then it was a pub that developed quite a varied reputation. It was located on the corner of George Street, the most notorious area in Windsor. At the area's heart was a prison that was built in 1806 and by all accounts, it wasn't very effective as prisoners regularly escaped from their cells. The surrounding streets were full of common lodging houses and crowded tenements. The population was described as vicious and as living in dens of infamy. It was Windsor's most infamous slum area, and it was the tenants of this area that spent most of their time in the grapes, as it was then known. Fighting and theft were commonplace. Many incidents relating to the pub are recorded in records from the Windsor Petty Sessions, the equivalent of a magistrate's court today. Most revolve around disorderly behaviour, fighting, theft and obscene language. A more unfortunate incident occurred on the eighth of March 1890, when a man called James Payne was wandering on Thames Street. He had recently arrived in town from Blackburn, where he worked in iron foundries and had formerly been a soldier. He was now estranged from his wife and likely homeless. On that particular night, he walked past the nearby Red Iron pub when a group of young boys began taunting him. He then walked up the street to the grapes. Two boys were stood outside, and as Mr. Payne attempted to enter the pub, one of the boys struck him on the back of the head. He turned around to chase the boy who had run across the road, but as he did so, he slipped on the side of a passing cart and fell under its wheels. His injuries initially appeared superficial, but he later tragically died of locked jaw. It would be unfair, though, to paint the Grapes as the most notorious pub in Windsor. Indeed, there were quite a few public houses in the George Street area that had a questionable reputation. Those that doubled as lodging houses probably had the worst. In 1839 alone, William Bragg, landlord of the Spread Eagle, William Hazlehurst, of the notorious lodging house, the Blue Anchor, and William Wheeler, keeper of a beer house on George Street, were all prosecuted for keeping houses of the worst description and for keeping dens of infamy that harboured, quote, thieves and prostitutes. Blue Anchor in George Street was described in 1848 as one of the worst lodging houses in the town by Edward Creasy, who reported on the sanitary conditions of Windsor. The report stated...
2: The Blue Anchor, kept by Hurst, has as many as 70 beds, crowded into small rooms which are never cleaned out or ventilated.
1: Three or more persons occupy one bed, and there is no discrimination as to where they came from or their condition or sex.
0: George Street and the Blue Anchor together with three other public houses and beer houses, were demolished to make way for the Great Western Railway Station in 1849. Now return up Thames Street towards Queen Victoria's statue. But instead of following the road back to Windsor Guild Hall, Turn left up Castle Hill towards the Horse and Groom pub. As you approach it, take some time to observe the sign hanging over the pub entrance.
1: signs like these were a common sight of pubs, but do you know why? They were used to help people determine which pub was which at a time when most of the population was illiterate. The pictures or symbols on the sign would reflect the name of the pub and therefore help someone know which pub they were in without the need to read a single word. The pub you are stood outside is called the horse and groom, so naturally the sign above you shows a groomsman standing on the rear end of a horse. It is actually Richard II who we have to thank for these hanging signs that are now synonymous with pubs. In 1393 he passed an act that required inns to display a sign with their name on, so that the ale who tested the quality of beer, knew exactly which establishment he was at. Most signs were painted or carved. The names of pubs offer very good clues about the history of the establishment, or even the local area. For example, the name Horse and Groom suggests that the pub was originally a coaching inn, i.e. a place where travellers and their horses could stop and rest. Records show that the Horse and Groom was licensed in 1719 to 1 Peter Tiller as the Rock and Crown, but in all likelihood an inn existed at the site much earlier. Indeed, the building dates back to the 16th and 17th centuries. By the end of the 18th century, the pub was owned by Windsor brewer William Foster and in 1837 it was taken into the ownership of another brewer, Neville Reed and Co. Folklore tells of tunnels that lead from the pub cellars towards the castle. It is said that they were used for various purposes, including smuggling Charles II's mistress, Nell Gwyn, into the castle. However, the cellar is simply just a cellar, and no such tunnels have ever been discovered. Though... That's not to say that there aren't secret tunnels from the castle leading to elsewhere in the town. The horse and groom sits on the intersection between Castle Hill and Market Street. Walk down Market Street and take your next right down Queen Charlotte Street. To your left, you will see the Crooked House of Windsor,
0: House dates to 1687 and has been many things in its time, including a butcher, a tea house, an antique shop and most recently a jewellery shop. But just imagine for a minute that you are back in 1900. At this time, the Crooked House is a beer shop, owned by John Cannon and Sons, Royal Brewery. At the front of the shop is a burgundy sign that says, John Cannon, Brewer to the Queen." To the left of the shop's entrance is a market stall filled with vegetables and flowers. A woman dressed in black is crouched down picking up produce that has been knocked over. She is bellowing into the street trying to get you to buy her goods. Opposite you, and just outside the beer house, is a drinking fountain. A young boy is wearing brown trousers and a white shirt and is drinking from it. An elderly man is walking in front of you, dressed all in black with a top hat. He is using a walking cane and is approaching the beer shop.
1: The scene just described to you was captured in a painting by William Josiah Redworth and is now part of the Royal Borough of Windsor and Maidenhead Civic Collection. The beer shop operated during the later part of the 19th century and into the early 20th century. Its owner, John Canning & Sons Royal Brewery, produced beer from their premises on Peacecot Street. They held a royal warrant and supplied beer to the royal household. It is said that they provided Queen Victoria and King Edward VII with 4X Stock Ale, India Pale Ale and Stout. The brewery shop on this site allowed people to sample the beers enjoyed by the royal family. A rich smell of leather, wood and ale would have filled the air.
0: Before we move on to our next stop, take a minute to observe the water fountain in front of you. The fountain was originally placed here in 1879, and was refurbished in 1977 to commemorate Queen Elizabeth II's Silver Jubilee. Ironically, drinking fountains were often placed outside public houses by temperance societies. They were called temperance fountains and were paid for by wealthy benefactors in the hope that a supply of fresh water would stop the working classes frequenting pubs in search of beer. This fountain was paid for by a benefactor called Mrs. Holland, who also suggested this location. The Windsor Town Council, however, spent a great deal of time deliberating whether it should be placed here or not. Other sites proposed included at the bottom of the hundred steps, on Castle Hill, or near Windsor Bridge. There is no evidence that Mrs. Holland was part of a temperance society, and as the fountain could have ended up elsewhere, On this occasion, it may have just been a coincidence that the fountain ended up outside a beer shop. For our next stop, walk back along Queen Charlotte Street until you reach the Carpenter's Arms.
1: first reference to the Carpenter's Arms dates to 1844. It is named after the tradesmen that drank there. The current building, however, dates from the early 20th century, when Ashby Staines Brewery built a new pub on the site. In the autumn of 1850, the landlord of the Carpenter's Arms was a Mr. Thomas Barton. He became involved in a legal battle with the pub's owner, Neville Reed & Co., who had tried to terminate Mr. Barton's lease. He refused to leave, and galvanised support from locals who were angry at the way in which he has been forced to leave the pub. Eventually Mr Barton did leave, but not before getting revenge on the brewery. He took the Carpenter's Arms licence with him to his new pub called The Criterion on Peascod Street. He claimed that the Carpenter's Arms had not always enjoyed a licence, and it had in fact been lost under the previous owner. Mr Barton took an advert out in the Windsor and Eton Express on the 19th of October 1850 to thank the locals for their support.
2: Thomas Barton, late of the Carpenter's Arms, Windsor, begs most sincerely and respectfully to thank his numerous friends for the kind support with which they have favoured him for upwards of four years, and is more especially grateful for their kind sympathy evinced during the recent harsh and oppressive proceedings of Messrs. Neville Reed and Co. Thomas Barton takes this opportunity of informing his friends that he hopes shortly to be able to resume his business, independent of a firm with which he has so much cause to regret ever having had any connection.
0: Predicaments such as Mr Barton's became increasingly common in the 19th century, as large breweries began buying up pubs to ensure their beer would be sold there. Pubs who were required to obtain their beer from a particular brewery became known as Tide Houses. In contrast, pubs not controlled by a brewery became known as Free Houses. Citizens of Maidenhead petitioned the House of Commons about the Tide House system in 1822. They complained that breweries were buying up all local pubs as soon as they went on the market and worked together to fix the prices of beer. They said local people could no longer access reasonably priced beer of good quality. However, no real action was taken to stop the practice. Continue walking along Market Street, past the back of Windsor Guild Hall, until you reach the Prince Harry pub.
1: This pub was originally named the Three Tons, and was renamed in 2018 to mark the wedding of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. In the 18th century, the pub was renowned for selling a drink called Pearl, which is warm or mulled ale with a measure of gin in it. A tale goes that George III went to his stables one day and overheard two grooms arguing over who made the best pearl. He heard one say, The man at the Three Tons makes the best in Windsor. On a separate occasion, when the king arrived at the stables earlier than expected, he found only a stable boy there, who said that the grooms would be back soon. The king, remembering the previous conversation,
2: replied, Then run, boy, run, and say that the king expects them. Run to the three towns. They are sure to be there, for they make the best pearl in Windsor.
1: Turn left from Market Street onto Church Lane. Walk up the lane until you see the Queen Charlotte pub on your right.
0: Queen Charlotte was originally called the ship and dates back to at least the early 18th century. The current building was built in the 1820s and is grade two listed. Like most of the pubs in Windsor, it had its fair share of entries in the Windsor Petty Sessions. Perhaps one of the most notable events occurred in 1852, when the pub's pot boy, William Davis, who was around 19, tried to set the pub on fire. He was released, however, on insufficient evidence for a jail sentence. During the 1950s and 60s, the ship was a meeting place for gay people when homosexuality was illegal. It was also a popular meeting place for soldiers. It is said many well known people frequented the pub, and the pianist, Russ Conway, used to play there for 10 shillings a night before he was famous. In 1937, a human skull was found by workers excavating in a yard behind the ship. And in 2015, Whilst digging foundations for a new conservatory, workers found five human skeletons and around 40 other bones. The Thames Valley Archaeological Service believe the bones to be from the parish church that the pub backs onto. There have been changes in the churchyard boundaries over the years. Walk back along Church Lane towards the High Street. We are turning right here. But if you were to turn left and follow high street towards park street where it meets the entrance to the long walk you will come across the two brewers it is one of the oldest pubs in windsor with its first recorded license being granted in 1742. it was established by the owners of one of windsor's earliest breweries and is one of the few pubs in windsor that has kept its original name now turn right onto windsor guild hall's corn market and observe the Castle Hotel on the opposite side of the road.
1: The hotel is located on the site of two of the town's earliest inns, the Mermaid Inn and the Castle Inn. As early as the 16th century, the Mermaid Inn brewed and sold beers and cider During this period, the town pillory stood almost opposite to the inn, and many drunken locals were frequently thrown in it to have rotten fruit chucked at them. Not exactly the best advert for a pint in your local. After 1795, the Mermaids Inn disappeared from the records, but the Castle Inn remained, and was extensively enlarged by incorporating the mermaid. In the 19th century, the Castle Inn was granted a royal warrant to provide carriages and horses for the royal household. It became one of the finest places to stay in Windsor.
0: Cross the road and briefly pause at the top of Pescott Street. There are many great pubs that have been located in Windsor, both in the present and in the past. Many of them were located on Pescott Street. Unfortunately, however, we are unable to include an in-depth history of all of them in this podcast episode. We are lucky enough, though, to have a recording in our collection of a local resident recalling his memories of visiting pubs in Windsor during the 1960s and 1970s. Tony Bowra worked for the Windsor and Eton Express for six years from 1963 and moved to Windsor in 1970. Listen to his memories whilst you have a wander down Thames Street. Whilst listening, continue down Thames Street past the King and Castle pub towards the Bell and Dragon pub, where we will again start exploring.
2: okay um let's continue that give it five minutes of um pubs i remember hand and glove which is in alexander road not there anymore it's the hong kong chinese restaurant that was probably one of the smallest pubs i've ever been in it was a postage stamp goes back to the old days of the old beer houses because it didn't need Many people in there, it dealt with a small clientele that lived around there, and they could exist. It was literally someone's front room that had a hatchway that sold beer, and a couple of chairs and tables. Hey, one pub. That lasted <coughs> quite a long while, the hand and glove, um, before it changed into a restaurant. Um, what's the other one? The Albion in Peskid Street. My father-in-law knew it as Mary's. He never knew the name of the place, other than the fact it had a picture of a ship on the door. Um, The Albion ship I've discovered since then. Um,
0: Why did your father call it Mary's?
2: Because he only knew the landlady by the name of Mary. He didn't know what pub he was in. (laughs) Um, They used to go there to eat their lunch. He used to drive the steam train, um, Windsor to Paddington. And before taking the train out, they'd have their lunch. And they'd normally, either him or his mate, would like a pint before they went. And they'd go to Mary's. Uh, Interesting, they didn't use the railway tavern, which was just down the slope from the station, but they used Mary's. But there they again.
0: prefer the company? Uh,
2: if you look at the railway tavern in photographs, it reminds you of the film The 39 Steps, The Mist and the Fog. Uh, Right, other pubs. The Falcon in William Street. Long gone now. It's about on the site where the Wetherspoons are. Falcon was a terrific pub. Most of the soldiers from the local barracks used it. It sold McEwan's Ale on draft. That was the drink of the time. And it was packed. No other pub in Windsor sold it. So that was, I tell you what, as busy pubs go, that was pretty good. (coughs) Now, where else shall we mention? The Duke of Edinburgh Public House, long gone now, some flats at the end of Mill Lane as you drive out. Um, dreadful looking place, big spires on it. It's the oldie- oldest at Watney's place in Windsor, and well, I think the last. Gone now, well and truly gone. It only, its existence relied on the fact the stables were there. Uh, for the race course, and all the jockeys were put up there, and all the horses and their minders were put up there, so there was a good trade there. When that kind of disappeared, so did the takings of the pub. Gone now. Um, we move on now. Other little pubs that I can remember. There's quite a few. The Donkey House, quite a nice place before they ruined it, was stainless steel. Um, We move on from there. The Royal Oak's still a nice pub, still like it. Um, A place you can take friends to from other countries and not embarrass yourself. Why is that? (coughs) It still has its oldie-worldie charm. They haven't done away with it entirely. They've gone food, 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 but they've tried to keep bar presents. Um... Copper Horse, very very 1960s. But there again, I went in there a few times, didn't like it. Too modern. Um, too modern. That's the price of that. The Traveller's Friend, which is down now called The Harvester, down the road here now, that's, if anything, trying to bring a bar back into the restaurant. Now, that is unusual. They've realised that they've got locals there They don't want to go in there for a meal. So... They haven't actually done away with that end. They've kept a bar there. Um, other pubs, pubs that are missing um, are gone. I won't. I won't mention. It. It's just sadness, really. The Thorn. I used to avoid the place like the plague. It was um, always frequented by soldiers from the local barracks. Place to avoid.
0: Why was that, Dickie?
2: <clears throat> it was always considered a dangerous place to go. Uh, too many people wanted an argument and um, they had drunk a lot. Um, so we avoided going there. Um, it's, you know, when you looked at the place at that time, you put it, that's the time. The other place we avoided going was the cellar club by the bridge in Windsor, the old bridge. That was a dangerous place to go. The motorcycle gangs were there. Um, If you look up the old newspapers from the 60s and late 50s, um, that was a lot of aggression there, um, especially at weekends. certainly not a place to go to. In fact, you don't really want to walk that. Um, If you were in Windsor, you tried to avoid that area. It wasn't a licensed place. It was only a cafe, but um, not a good place to go. Try to avoid that like the plague.
0: We hope you enjoy Tony's fascinating insights into Windsor's pubs and have found your way to the Bell and Dragon.
1: The Bell and Dragon is now a restaurant, but it was first opened during the 1830s as the William IV pub and was run by Sam Coombs. The original building goes back to the 17th century, though it has 18th and 19th century alterations. Like many other pubs, it was connected with illegal activities, such as customers passing around counterfeit coins, and stealing property. In both 1853 and 1866, after the elections for local members of parliament, the pub was mentioned in the House of Commons Investigations, with regard to accusations that the local elections agents and their candidates were involved in bribery in order to gain votes. Walk down Datchet Lane towards Windsor and Eton Riverside Station. Opposite you, you will see the Royal Windsor Pub.
0: The Royal Windsor was originally known as the Royal Oak and was first licensed in 1727. It faces Windsor and Eton Riverside Station, but it predates the railway. In 1875, the pub was managed by Mr. Pennycott. He employed a barmaid called Louisa Axby, who at the time was 22. She had become a trusted companion to his daughters after his wife died, and she had worked at the pub for the last year and nine months. Mr Pennycott became convinced that she was stealing from him after he had unexplainably been losing takens over the previous three months. He set up a sting operation. He marked up coins and placed them in the till. He left them there for an hour and was careful not to give them as change. He then placed the marked coins, along with other takens from the till, in a secure compartment away from the public. When he returned at closing time, some of the marked money was missing. The next morning, he called Superintendent Hayes of Windsor Borough Police. The two confronted Louisa as she was coming down the stairs. They demanded to see her purse before she went out. In it, they found a shilling and two shilling piece, both with Mr Pennicott's mark. At her trial, Louisa pleaded guilty. Her solicitor suggested to the court that her low wages may have compelled her to steal. Mr. Pennycott said she'd never asked for more money, but would have given it to her if she had. He then expressed that he did not want her to be punished further, on account of her already having been in prison for six days and her character damaged. The magistrates, however, did not take notice and sentenced her to one month imprisonment with hard labour, on the account of her abusing the considerable trust Mr. Pennycott had given her. Louisa sobbed and begged for mercy before being led out of the courtroom crying. (laughs) Cross the road towards Riverside Station. Follow the street opposite called Farmyard until you reach the river. On your right, the Boatman Pub will appear.
1: Man is Windsor's only pub that remains truly Riverside, and sits between the Windsor and Eton Riverside Railway Station and the River Thames. It was first licensed as the King's Arms in 1726, and has had several owners since, including the London and South Western Railway and Moose Brewery. A well-documented event occurred here in July 1836, after a 66-year-old man called William Ing, collapsed and died, whilst watering plants in the King's garden on Datchet Lane. He was taken here to the King's arms to await the coroner's arrival from Bath. The coroner could not get back for five days, much to the distress of the landlady of the pub. The body had become increasingly offensive, as reported by the Windsor and Eton Express, and the landlady, on account of having to accommodate the body, had become quote, exceedingly indignant, The coroner expressed deep regret at the inquest of his delay, before the attending surgeon explained that Mr Ing had likely died of a stroke. The jury returned a verdict of died by the visitation of God, and the body was interned immediately afterwards. Although this might seem like a bizarre situation to us, coroner's inquests were frequently held in pubs. In fact, Pubs were at the centre of local justice administration during the 18th and 19th centuries. Pubs often had readily available large, private indoor rooms, located at the back or upstairs. They were perfect for inquests and petty sessions, which were the forerunner of magistrates' courts. Indeed, local justice was good business for the landlord. They would get paid for use of the room, and many curious locals would come in to see what was happening, and no doubt stopped to quench their thirst too. So depending on the day of the week, you could find yourself in your local watching pints being served. Or, well, justice.
0: The have been at the heart of the Windsor community for centuries. The business of the town was conducted in them, from public meetings to inquests, and they were the go-to place to escape the drudgery of everyday life. Like today, people from all walks of life visited them, from celebrations and sorrow to just everyday existence. They were the places that the people of Windsor came together in and lived out their lives. In fact,
1: they still do. But with so many beer houses and pubs having opened in Windsor, we have unfortunately not been able to include all of them in this podcast. We have also mainly focused on pubs in central Windsor, but there are so many fascinating stories to learn about pubs further out from the centre, and indeed across the whole of the Royal Borough of Windsor and Maidenhead. Do you know any interesting stories related to local pubs? Let us know and maybe we can include them in another podcast episode, or share them on the museum's social media channels. You can follow us on Twitter and
0: Instagram at Windsor underscore Museum, and find us on Facebook to have your regular fix of local history. You can also find more content from us on our website, windsormuseum.org.uk. You may also like to follow Windsor Boozers on Instagram and Twitter, who share fascinating stories about Windsor's pubs and breweries. We would also like to thank them for reading over the script for this episode. Thank you for listening, and look out for the next instalment in our series, where we will again be going about the borough in search of hidden histories.